uh, that if you're a guest here this morning, we're just thrilled that you're here. Uh, seriously, if we've never met you, we would love to meet you. Um, there is a Connect card around you. You can follow the QR code on the seat backs as well. Um, that's your way to just let us know that you were here. Uh, but you can also fill out a card and put it in the Connect room out here. Uh, visit somebody at the Connect desk, and they'll be glad to get you a little gift. Um, we have a little gifts back there for you. And then just to open that line of communication between us and you. We'd love uh, for you to give us that opportunity, if you don't mind. Um, and anything else uh, that you have going on in your life, that Go Deeper place on our website and in those QR codes, that's, that's a great way to just get in touch with us. Um, if you want to join a group, if you want to serve uh, in a ministry around here, whatever it might be uh, that you want um, us to come alongside you, with in your faith, um, that's a great way to make that happen, okay? Uh, all that said, I want to invite Michelle McConaughey up. She's going to read our passage today in 2 Timothy, looking at verses 16 through uh, 18. Um, that's the passage she's going to read, and uh, like I said, keep in mind, we'll be through this whole section, but if you could, and if you're capable, would you stand for the reading of God's Word this morning? Perfect. Thank you very much, Shelby. You can have a seat. Let's pray again uh, before we get into this, if you don't mind. Our Father, we, just, uh, we trust this time in, our, in the Word to you. Uh, we're grateful for the worship and the reverence and, and everything that we have, um, uh, everything that you've brought together for us to just be here now uh, to receive your Word. And I pray that beyond me, beyond anything else, that you would receive the glory and praise of this morning and that you, above all else, would speak to us and incline us to your Son even more and that we would take seriously what we do and what we say through our lives and how it impacts the faith of those around us. Um, do this work in us through your Holy Spirit and through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, it is March Madness, and so I thought, why not start with a little bit of basketball, even though I chose the NBA. So if I could have found an example from the NCAA, that would have been more appropriate. But we're going to roll with it, okay? Uh, so in 2014, um, the playoffs in the NBA, it was the Miami Heat. The conference finals was the Miami Heat versus the Indianapolis Pacers. Um, by the way, does anybody know who won the championship of 2014? Yeah, one person, right? The only other Spurs fan in the room with me, Andy Johnson. And then we had one in the first service, too, uh, who was Marvin. And so us three are holding down the, the Spurs fan base in Terre Haute, Indiana. But either way, they won it, right? That was Kawhi Leonard's kind of breakout year. Um, and so neither the Heat nor the Pacers won that. So what we're talking about here is kind of irrelevant. But if you watched that, then you know that it was filled with many awkward Funny moments, and it all centered around this one guy named the legend Lance Stevenson, right? The three-time pacer. They keep kicking him out and then bringing him back, and I don't know why, but he's just a total wild card. This guy's uh, just, just wild. And so this, this whole uh, series between the Heat and the Pacers, what he was doing was just doing everything he could to get under LeBron James's skin. Everything, weird antics, right? Like unnecessary bodily contact, sneaking into the other team's huddles, um, and then the, the, the famous, you know, blowing into the ear. But instead of me just telling you about it, let's just watch it together. Is that cool? All right.
I love LeBron's face. <laughs> they couldn't hold it in any longer. Could have been way worse, too. LeBron's quite a bit bigger, right? I just thought, you know, as I read 2 Timothy, verse 16, that was the image that kept coming to mind. And I kept thinking of LeBron's face there and how often the, the Miami coach probably told them, guys, Lance is going to be Lance. Don't engage. Don't respond. Don't react. Don't validate it. Don't let it get under your skin. Right? That's kind of the encouragement we see here at the start of verse 16, where, where Paul tells Timothy, avoid irreverent and empty speech. Avoid it just literally means that. Don't engage. And then he says that overtly. Since those who engage in it will produce even more godlessness. Maybe you've been in a, in a similar situation. Right? Um, um, something really funny happened, and you just know right now is not the time. I can't engage in this right now. I cannot laugh. This is just not the time for this, right? Um, um, good friend Michael Miller is visiting in town. He kept telling me about this woman who kept falling at Java Hote as she was rushing to get a booth. If you've ever been to Java Hote, you got to know you got to fight for that booth, right? And she kept falling over and over again, but he didn't want to laugh because it just wasn't polite. It wasn't nice, right? Eventually he did break that, and he did laugh, and so uh, we're working on that. But. Um, uh, maybe you've been frustrated, right? You've been frustrated with something and you just think, I'm really frustrated with this. Now is just not the time. I can't engage in this right now. I can't, I can't give myself to this right now. Now he says, don't engage in what he calls irreverent and empty speech. Irreverent and, and empty speech. And one of the telltales of irreverent and empty speech is what it leads to, which is usually destructive, misleading, and quarreling. If you remember back in verse 14, a passage that we looked at last week, um, it says, remind them of these things and charge them before God not to fight about words. Don't fight about words, semantics. Verse 23, later on, something we'll look at in a few weeks. It says, but reject foolish and ignorant disputes because you know that they breed quarrels. Right? So if it's hit a level where everybody's just fighting and arguing, then it's probably just better to stay out of it. Right? If it doesn't honor the Lord and incline people to the gospel, it's probably better to just avoid it, to not engage in it, so to amplify the dispute and the quarrel. Now I'll go ahead and just say that I think any conversation and any debate is an opportunity to gently bring the gospel into the picture, right? Um, so if you can gently and lovingly bring the gospel into the picture, then I think that's appropriate. Whether or not people uh, respond to that, I don't know. That's very different than just responding with your passion and with your emotion in a way that just contributes to the, to the dust cloud of people arguing and, 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 and fighting with each other about things that ultimately probably don't matter a ton. Right? Um, the other day, we were, uh, my family and I, we were walking out of Walmart uh, while another guy was walking into Walmart. And he went to the cart line and he pulled on a cart. And of course, at Walmart, when you pull on one cart, you get two carts, right? So he pulled on that. Two carts came out. They're tussled together. And so his resolve was to just grab this thing and just start shaking violently, like, cuckoo, 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 like through the whole thing. We're all just like, 
It went on way too long for him to feel comfortable with, right? Just on and on and on until this younger woman uh, who looked like she was maybe, you know, college or just post-college came up and she like held up her hand and then she just grabbed the cart and she lifted that little bar, you know, that gets stuck. She lifted that, pulled the thing out and then just went on her way, you know, and just like spared that. But I just thought, you know, what if that woman walked up, said, hold on, guy, let me help you, grabbed the other side of that cart and they both just started shaking, (laughs) Right? They were just shaking. Hey, you know what? Why not invite a bunch of more people? Like, you two take these sides. Let's all just shake violently together and see if we can get this thing to come apart. It's a funny image, right? Just so you know, when people do that about theological issues and cultural issues, it looks funny to them too. It looks like a mess. It's not pretty. Um, You add social media to the picture, then you have thousands of people joining in, shaking the cart violently. And when that happens, it's not pretty. Somebody's bound to get hurt. The cart's going to break. And everyone on the outside is going to look in and just think, what in the world are those crazies doing? Right? It's like that cartoon, you know, Tasmanian devil, when he gets in a swirl with other, with other things, other creatures or whatever, and there's just this dust cloud. Right? It almost looks like a comic book dust cloud. Even so... Right? We know this, and many of us agree with this. Even so, it doesn't matter what the dispute is. There's still going to be some young person waiting in line trying to jump in. Inevitably, there's always those people, right? Um, if it's a theological issue, it's usually young people, new believers, who have just attached themselves to some cool new theological thing. Seminary students, right? If it's a cultural thing, then any young social activist is ready to jump in. It's interesting, though. I keep harping on young people. I am a young person, and so I kind of resonate with this, right? Look at verse 22, by the way. Verse 22, Paul tells Timothy, flee from youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Now, how many of you are like me, and every time you heard this verse, it was always in regards to personal purity, right? Bodily purity, the context of which, he pits it up against verse 23, but reject foolish and ignorant disputes. So the youthful passion he's talking about here is, is how people who are kind of newer and, and younger have a higher propensity to just jump into the fight, right? That's our youthful passion. He's like saying, maybe try to temper that youthful passion as a young pastor to that guy, right? So as young people... I think the faster we can, we can hold the brakes and employ patience uh, and gentleness and wisdom into these things, the better. This is why there's a lot of young people who I know who don't have this temper, right? And they look older and they look wiser than they actually are. I think it's something that we should all strive for, young and old, by the way. Old people do this too. Um, and, and it's not usually, it doesn't, it doesn't strike me as the most mature thing, you know, oftentimes. So, as we said, there's these foolish disputes, there's these quarrels, and they can happen in the theological settings and also in the cultural settings. And so the context we have here is the theological setting. Look with me at verse, uh, let's just read the whole thing again, verse 16 through 18. It says, avoid irreverence and empty speech, since those who engage in it will produce even more godlessness, and their teaching will spread like gangrene. Kind of gross, Right? Hymenius and Philetus are among them. They have departed from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place and are ruining the faith of some. It's a strong statement, isn't it? Ruining the faith. We're not going to get lost in the theological weeds on that one, but there's a lot behind that. But it is the theological realm that's on, that's on display here, right? The irreverence 
in this case had to do with some off-truths about the resurrection of the physical body of the believer. This is a spiritual issue. Scholars think that these men bought into the idea that the resurrection we have in Christ uh, was only a spiritual resurrection, was only a spiritual experience at salvation, but not necessarily a bodily experience for eternity. But according to Philippians you know, 4, uh, Romans 8, these passages that talk about a renewed, incorruptible body, we believe in the bodily resurrection. And so if it's not what the Bible preaches, it's false teaching. But even with this false teaching, right, Paul tells Timothy, don't engage because you're just going to further the godlessness. Are you one of those people that every time you see something off, every time, every time you see something that's not truth, you feel like it is your personal responsibility and duty to react and respond? Are you that kind of person? You're probably going to struggle with this passage then, right? Because this is inclining us to not do that. In a world, by the way, where we have every single platform to do that. Right? Look with me at 2 Timothy verse 2, looking at verses 22, uh, sorry, 24 through 26. This is the better way. It says, The Lord's servant must not quarrel, but must be gentle to everyone, able to teach, um, and patient, instructing his opponents with gentleness. Perhaps God will grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of the truth. Then they may come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. I think people who carry this responsibility that they need to be the ones who respond to every non-truth out there, they think they might actually be doing the gospel a favor when actually they're doing a hindering work to people actually see where he says, if you respond with patience and if you respond with love, then that might actually facilitate more people receiving repentance, right? Sometimes avoiding it and engaging it and not engaging is actually more gospel advantageous than just jumping into the fight. It's hard for us to wrap our heads around, but it's true. I want to go ahead and say this. It happens in the theological realm, but of course it happens in the cultural realm too. In fact, the word irreverence here literally means a common threshold, right? So if you think about a passageway through a door, you go from one space to another space, and that threshold, that passage is common. It's a trail that everybody's walked. It's common, right? And if it's common, so common then it's probably not as holy and as unique and as sacred as you think it probably is, right? Uh, it's translated elsewhere in the New Testament as worldly. That's the idea. If the whole world is doing it, if your whole culture is following it, if it appeals to the masses, if it appeals to your own worldly uh, desires and, and passions, then it's possible that whatever it is that is being taught and promoted may not be as sacred or as holy as it sounds. But listen... Despite that, the theological and cultural settings where this happens, despite that, I want to focus our attention on something different today, and that's, that's the dramatic risk of what happens whenever we lose our wisdom in engaging or not engaging. If we are just so gun-ready gun and so ready to just jump into the fight, there is great risk that comes with this, all right? And the risk, though it may not be the most overt thing about this whole section of verses, it's it's there through every piece, right? So back in verse 14, look. He says, remind them of these things and charge them before God to not fight about words. This is useless and leads to the ruin of those who listen, right? Verse 16, those who engage in it will produce even more godlessness, probably numerically and internally. 
Verse 17 talks about how when it's taught, it spreads like gangrene. Gangrene, you know what gangrene is? Like you cut your arm, hopefully this has never happened to anybody, but you cut your arm, right, and then it gets infected and then it turns green and it just rots off your body. <laughs> you know, that's gangrene. It, it's, it's disgusting, it's gross. It's this infectious thing that mortifies you and the same thing can happen in your faith whenever you adhere to false teaching. And then verse 18 This is where we get our sermon title from today. They have departed from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place and are ruining the faith of some. Right? This is the main point I hope that we hear this morning. That the things we teach, the words we say, the lives we live, the things we stand for, right? All of these things are not just innocently with you. Your faith is just not a personal thing. All of these things paint a picture to the rest of those around you, to anybody who's watching and listening. They paint a picture of what you truly believe and what you truly feel about truth, about God, and about Jesus Christ. Whether you think you're out of it completely, whether you think you're completely neutral or not, it doesn't matter, right? If somebody even bare minimum knows you go to church, If you have any faith bone in your body, if you have any claim of Jesus Christ, then you need to know that 100% of the time, the things you do, the things you say, the things you teach, the things you stand on, all of it paints this mural that everybody on the outside is looking at. And what it does is it reveals where you truly stand on God, on truth, and on Jesus Christ. And with that, there is a responsibility for us as believers in Jesus Christ to paint an accurate mural of who Jesus is through the way that we live of who God is through the way that we live, of what truth is through the way that we live. And so the question that it begs is this, what picture of God, what picture of truth, what picture of Christ does your life paint for those around you? When they look at your life, what do they conclude about truth? Right? This hits home literally, right? If you've got kids in the house, they're taking it all in. They're taking it all in. If you don't know how to say I love you to your kids, if you are heavy-handed, if, if you, know, you have uh, 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 rash tendencies, then how are they to not conclude that this is your view of God? How are they not to, to conclude a, a, a heavy-handed God? If you have coworkers in your life, if you have classmates in your life, if you have any of these people in your life, they are looking at you and what you are saying what you, are saying, what you are saying about God shows itself in, in, in the way that you're living. It's kind of uncomfortable, isn't it? It's kind of an uncomfortable truth that someone who's always watching, someone who's always learning, someone who's always listening to you, oftentimes to their own ruin. Now, of course, I, as, as one of your pastors, I mean, I care deeply for your faith as well as, as, well as my own, Right? But through studying this and through looking at this, I have become just as concerned about the faith of those who witness us, who see us, who don't know Jesus Christ. I mean, the chances are pretty strong that you are the closest picture of Jesus to someone in your life right now. Based merely on the fact that you go to church. They know you go to church and they have zero context for church and for God and for religion. And so when they think of God, what they think is their only friend who goes to church. And so what you are living is painting the picture for them of what God and who God is. That's the reality of 
of who we are. And I think Paul, Paul knew that with Timothy. The reason Paul's making such a big deal about rightly discerning truth here is because he's talking to a young man who's a gospel worker and pastor who is constantly presenting truth. There's always listeners in this guy's life, always listeners in Timothy's life. And we preach a lot about, about this focus on self-preservation, right? Doing the right things and, and not doing the things that we shouldn't do and avoiding or rejecting all the, all the right things. And yes, even Jesus is very concerned with this stuff, right? He doesn't want us to stumble. That's Matthew 5, verses 29 and 30. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go to hell. Right? It's pretty strong words about resisting sin to the point of shedding your blood, as it says in Hebrews. It's a big deal. We go to radical lengths to get the things out of our lives that shouldn't be there. But also, right, Jesus isn't just concerned with what you do to persevere in Christ, but he is just concerned uh, as concerned about, about what we do that may cause others to stumble as well. He doesn't want you to stumble, but he doesn't want the people in your life to stumble as well. Certainly not because of you. And just to show you how much Jesus cares about this, look at Matthew 18, verse 6, that says, whoever causes one of these little ones to stumble, or sorry, whoever causes one of these little ones to believe in, uh, that believe in me to fall away, it would be better for him if a heavy millstone were hung around his neck and, we were, and he were drowned in the depths of the sea. Pretty strong words. In Matthew 23, verse 15, Jesus has stronger words to the religious elite, people who were charged with the spiritual care of people. And he says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to make one convert. And when he, comes, uh, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a child of, hell as, a child of hell as you are. That's strong. He cares deeply about what his people and about what faith leaders, about what picture of truth and Christ and of God they present in the way they live. And so what I want to do is just give you three reminders today. Three reminders of, uh, uh, of how we consider, can consider how we, how we can resist ruining the faith of others. Rather, that our lives would actually encourage and, and build up others in faith and truth. Right? And so the first one is this. It's just what we've been talking about. People are always watching. And that's such a simple line, but it probably needs to be a daily, a daily reminder that people are always watching. So the next time you go to work, the next time you go to class, the next time you do anything, the next time you play whatever sport it is that you're in, the next time you do whatever, remember, people are watching. Last week, uh, Brett talked about what it means to rightly divide uh, uh, truth, you know, as Paul says to Timothy in verse 15. And he presented this, this picture, and it's a great picture. We're going to continue in this picture today. This picture is the fullness of grace and the fullness of truth that is the road. The road is the fullness of grace and the fullness of truth. It is the perfect balance and fullness of who Christ is, right? Because in John chapter 1, verse 14, it says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we observed his glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. That is the perfect road. But there's ditches on both sides, right? There's one ditch on one side that is the all-grace, no-truth ditch. And in that ditch, people use Scripture to justify and permit literally anything, even if it's not true and if it's not good. And then the other side is this ditch of all-truth and no-grace, 
where scripture is used like a hammer to bash people uh, who don't rightly follow it. And though truth may be on their side, it, it, it ruins the faith of others. And both of which present an incomplete and misleading picture of truth. And so we need to try to stay in the road of all grace and all truth and let that guide our interactions with people, right? That's where we rightly represent Christ. Now, this road is not just a road with ditches, but I want to add to that and say that this road is a road with ditches and with waves and waves and waves of pedestrians on both sides as well. And you cannot veer off into a ditch without taking others with you. That's the idea. Right? This, this life and this faith between you and God is not just between you and God. There's people. There's bystanders. There's uh, uh, your church. There's all of these people in your life that are also on the road or in the ditch. And you cannot paint a wrong picture of Jesus and others not suffer for it. Others not have their perspective a, a little bit askew because of it. Right? We can't shrug it off. We have to always be mindful of the pedestrians. We can't let them, like, totally, we need to keep our eyes fixed on the road, right? But we need to be aware that they're there, and we need to be aware of the risk. The second thing I would encourage us with and remind us of today is not only that people are always watching, right? There's always pedestrians in your life, but there's also this responsibility for us to engage responsibly, right? So if God does call you to engage Obviously, there's some tips that we need, right? Because we can engage with the gospel, but it has to be filled with knowledge and, and knowing what we're talking about, but it also has to be filled with, with, with gentleness and love. So the first thing I want to tell you and just in engaging responsibly, responsibly is what Brett said last week. You've got to know the word. That's verse 15, right? Uh, where he says, be diligent to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker, who doesn't need to be ashamed, correctly teaching the word of truth. If you're going to rightly engage in whatever it is, if God were to lead you in that, you've got to know what you're talking about. You've got to know truth. You've got to study. You've got to be in it. You've got to let it be a daily part of your life. Not only that, but any time you present it, doesn't matter what the context is, any time you engage, it's got to be seasoned with gentleness and love. It has to be. Right? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, we are encouraged to speak the truth in love as we grow into who Christ is. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 and 16, it says, But in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Some people like to stop it there and just use that as an excuse to just jump in any fight they can find. He follows it by saying, yet do this with gentleness. And with reverence, keeping a clear conscience. Don't compromise the truth in yourself in the way that you engage into these things. Right? Always have gentleness. Always have love. We already looked at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24, down there, where he tells him that you must not quarrel, but must be gentle to everyone, able to teach, and patient. This is the attitude of those who engage this is what we're called to. The third thing I would say in this section is this. Know your audience. Because your audience is either going to be believers or non-believers or a mixture of both. And listen, we handle truth differently with believers than we do non-believers. Now, the gospel transcends all of that, 
right? If you're just sharing the hope and love of Jesus Christ, we all need that reminder, and people who don't have that need that desperately. But when it comes to the inner workings of truth, and uh, uh, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 12, he says, for what business is it of mine to judge outsiders, right? Implying, I don't have any business to judge those on the outside of the church. And then he asks the question, don't you judge those who are inside, That's not a command to not judge. He's asking by implication, isn't it our responsibility to judge those on the inside? And if you read 1 Corinthians chapter 5, then you understand the context of that being church discipline. And those on the outside of the church, you don't go there with them. Bible words like discipline and rebuke and correction and this mutual accountability that we all have as believers in Jesus Christ. You don't do that with a non-believer. How are you going to hold somebody to a biblical standard when they don't care what the Bible is? How are you going to hold people to what Jesus says when they don't care about Jesus? What they need is a relationship, and you don't go much further than that until they have that. But in the church, we have this godly gift of mutual accountability. It's a safeguard, a blessing for edification for us, right? A lot of people just think it's just this harsh tool for Christian law and order. It's a blessing. It's something that we give ourselves to and submit ourselves to in the body, So whether you're presenting truth to a non-believer or to a believer, with your life, you try to reflect Jesus Christ. With your words and with with what happens inside the church, we handle that differently. Right? Don't be surprised when people who don't have any love or reverence for Christ do things that he says people shouldn't do. Right? Your goal isn't to bash them for that. Your goal is to invite them to know your Savior. So, those are just a few tips. Know the word. Speak with gentleness and love. And also, know your audience. The third thing I want to tell you is this. The third reminder is simply this, and it might feel like it's a little bit out of left field. We'll close with this. And it's this. It's to resist insecurity, which is hard given that everybody in here is insecure in some way or another. Right? And if you're the one saying, not me, then I'll say you are the most. Right? Insecurity. As I was studying and reading about all of this, the question that kept coming to mind is like, why is it so easy for Christians to not engage responsibly? Why is it so easy for Christians to just give themselves to anger, to give themselves to frustration, to give themselves to just people bashing over godly issues? And now with with social media, we have every platform possible. It's a daily temptation for many Christians to just feel like it's their duty to rebuke and correct every false thing in the world. So I can't give a full answer for that, but I know for me, in the times that I am quick to react and quick to engage, it's not usually because I'm trying to defend Christ's honor. I'm trying to save my own skin. I'm trying to be the one that's right. I'm trying to be the one that that wins this thing. I'm the insecure person, and they're tapping into something that I didn't want them to tap into. And so I'm reacting. We've done Timothy's character study through this series, right? Young man, raised primarily by his mom and his grandma. I mean, there's no mention of any faith deposit from his father. Combating what seems like feelings of fear and timidity. We see Paul addressing uh, addressing these things a lot. Now he's this young man with his history leading a church in a place filled with depravity, filled with idolatry. I mean, he's got all the ingredients for insecurity, doesn't he? Insecurity especially with the youthful passions that we see in verse 22. This stuff often breeds a defensive nature. 
Insecurity de- breeds this defensive nature, and when defensive people, defensive people are often too, too sensitive to be corrected, to be challenged, to be left feeling unheard. And the things they doubt the most are the things they are most defensive of sometimes. I'm talking as one with experience. Unfortunately, this is why insecure people struggle in relationships. They struggle um, because they, they, they end up leaving other people in like really tough positions, right? Instead of blasting people off the road into the ditch, an insecure person will, will kindly trick you into escorting them to the ditch and then invites you to stay a while. And you probably will, while being on eggshells the whole time. And I say this again with experience as an insecure person and also with experience as the one being tricked into the ditch. And from what I read and experience in ministry a lot is that I'm in the vast majority in this room. Chances are you're an insecure person too in some way or form or, or, or fashion. You struggle with fear. You struggle with doubt. How many of you have never shared your faith because you, you doubt or fear? Right? It's usually why people don't share their faith. It makes you wonder if people are insecure about their own faith. I hear a lot of worship songs lately. Kinsey called it, she deemed it insecure worship, where it's just people yelling out everything they have to offer to God. Right? Almost like they're trying to convince themselves of something that they're not yet convinced of. Or, you know, our own need for validation won't let us easily validate others. We're more focused on being validated ourselves than to ever do what Jesus did and to consider others better than ourselves. That's his character trait presented in Philippians 2. Or we get easily offended when others question our choices or our lifestyles or our parenting methods or our faith practices or whatever it is. It's a really quiet room, isn't it? It's a little uncomfortable. Insecurity is a touchy subject. Because it's touchy doesn't mean we shouldn't acknowledge it and respond to it in some way. And I think it's universal. Personally, I do. I think you know, it's a whole other sermon for sure, but we can trace all of this back to the fall, right? The curse of the ground and the impact that this has on, on men and women, we can trace it all back there. But the point of today is for me to not say, don't be an insecure person. That's not what I'm trying to tell you. When I say resist insecurity, I'm not trying to tell you to, uh, to defeat this thing that you probably don't have the power to defeat quite yet in the Holy Spirit. This is going to be something that you're going to be struggling with the rest of your life, but maybe growing in, and then when you're finally face-to-face with the Lord, you ha- will have defeated it. When I say resist insecurity, what I mean is don't be driven by it and don't be controlled by it. Because this is, and again, back to the impact that this has on others. When we let insecurity hold the paintbrush, it paints the picture to those around us that God is not enough for us. That's the picture it paints. They're still a Christian, and yet they are so bound to fear and anxiety and all of these things. God must not be giving them what they need. But he is. He is sufficient, isn't he? We know it and believe it. We rah-rah about it every Sunday morning. But do we live it? Do we live it? Do we paint that picture? Whether it be a sinful tendency or insecurity or pain or any kind of weakness that you have in your life, will you be driven by these things? Or will you let the gospel use them to remind us of of the miraculous work of grace in our lives? And when we do that... We kind of rob them of their power over us, and the picture that's painted is a picture of God's sufficient and redemptive work, even in our darkest places. 
That's the picture we want people to see in our lives, isn't it? And so the answer for all of us insecure people is trust. It's dependence upon God. Isaiah chapter 26, verses 3 through 4. He says, you will keep the mind that is dependent on you. Right? This is Isaiah talking to God. You will keep the mind that is dependent on you in perfect peace, for it is trusting in you. Trust in the Lord forever, because in the Lord, the Lord himself is an everlasting rock. He is an everlasting rock. And then the Apostle Paul says something similar in Philippians chapter 4. He says, my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. The answer is daily dependence on the sufficiency of God who promises to meet our needs, whatever your need is. Physical need, emotional need, mental need, identity need, your confidence needs, your self-perception needs, your validation and approval needs, your corrective and disciplinary needs. He gives you all of what you need. He provides it. It's all him, and he's offered it to you. Everything we do impacts others and reveals what, he, what we hold as true. It reveals what we believe about God, and it reveals who this Jesus is that we claim. Right? The best way to make sure that we don't cause other people to stumble is to be entirely and completely dependent upon our Savior. Right? Don't get lost in focusing on what every pedestrian is thinking of you. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Keep your eyes fixed on the road. And that's how you can be sure that you'll never cause them to stumble. Because you're fixed on him. Full trust and full dependence in him. We want to paint that picture of who Christ truly is, don't we? We want to see people. or We we want people to see the true God, the true Christ that we love and we worship through our lives, don't we? And I hope you do. I hope you do. Let's pray. Our God, give us the desire and passion to paint the right picture of who you are. We understand we can't be perfect, but we also understand that we, can't, we don't need to be bound by our imperfections. And even in our imperfections, we can paint a picture of you to those around us, uh, of your true character, of your loving uh, and gentle kindness, and of your goodness. And um, God, just use us for this work. Let us always be mindful of those around us. Let us always be mindful of the pedestrians and anything that might get in our way of that whether it be a, a quick timber, a temper or a, an insecurity that we are struggling with, I pray that you would give us the power of the Holy Spirit to give us awareness, first of all, to these things, to give us awareness on how, on how these things are playing out in our lives and how it might be infringing upon our relationships and, and, and um, um, misleading to those who are, who are looking into our lives. God, would you use your word um, to do this work and to speak to our hearts in each of our unique places today. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Well, we're going to step into a time of just response. And again, this isn't a a time for us to manipulate you into anything. This is just a minute or two for you to just have a moment with the Lord. But we do like to supply some some helpful thoughts and and questions on the screen to kind of help you do that, to help you in your prayer um, and to help you grow in kind of your self-awareness. And that's kind of the first thing, is that you would ask God for wisdom and for self-awareness about what the truth is that is being presented in your life. Is it a good picture or is it misleading? About your own insecurity, 
One of the problems with insecurity is a lot of people don't know they're insecure. Ask for God's wisdom on this so that you can start to use that to actually incline people to the true Christ. Secondly, how are others encouraged in faith and truth by being in relationship with you, right? And just so you're clear, if you're here and you're like, I, I just stay out of everything all the time, and so surely I'm not harming anything, I just want you to know that neutral doesn't always equal a faith-positive encounter with you, right? If you have the opportunities to speak to somebody's life, you should take those. To just stay out of everything, to be passive about everything, doesn't necessarily present a good picture, of who God and Christ truly are. Ask God to grow your dependence on him completely. Ask God to grow your dependence on him completely. And then, if you're here and you don't have any dependence on God, you you don't even have a relationship with him, then today, if somehow through all of this, God just inclined your heart to himself and said, I want you to be saved. I want you to know me personally. And you're ready to say yes to that. I pray that you do. It's a pretty simple thing. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 13, anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. If you believe in him and you're confessing that for the first time today and you're acknowledging your place of sin and you want him to to spare you of this and to save you from this, then it's simply just having that brief conversation with him and opening that line of communication with him. And if you struggle with that, we'd love to introduce you to our Savior this morning. So please seek us out. Talk to us um, about that. Okay, so I want you to have just a few minutes um, to, to pray about these and seek the Lord on these things, and then we'll close in worship.